Growing up, I would see my extended family for the major holidays. I remember one Easter visit to my grandparents in Maryland. There were seven of us grandkids, so our parents regularly shuttled us out of the house, mostly to tire us out, really. <laughs> that day, they took the lot of us to a park to run ourselves out. Now, I must have been about middle school age at the time, and I have a cousin who's six years younger than me. As soon as we arrived at that park, we were all getting out of the cars, and he shut his finger in the car door. I think that I was the only one who saw him do that, and I thought, oh crap, this is gonna be bad. But his face was blank, in total shock. I asked him, Chris, are you okay? And he didn't say a word. He just wandered around, searching, seriously, earnestly, until he found his mother. Then holding his finger in front of him, he started wailing and crying, and he fell into her open arms. That moment struck me, and if I'm being totally honest, it confused me to no end. What was with that time delay? Didn't it hurt when it had first happened? How on earth did finding his mom mean that pain would suddenly be expressed and loudly? Maybe you have a similar story. Because there's something about finding that one who soothes and nurtures and tries to make all the pain go away that opens us up to let the pain out and to let it go. Having that person to go to, being that person for someone else, it is truly a sacred and a beautiful thing. But I'm not going to stand here this morning and pretend that we all experience motherhood the same way. Some of us were blessed with rich, full, beautiful experiences of motherhood as children or as mothers yourselves. But others have wounds from childhood Others struggled to have children or experienced motherhood as loss and grief and conflict. Still others do not feel the calling to be mothers. For those of you who might be wary of the Mother's Day sermon, it's not about measuring up. You must be this good at mothering to be blessed by God. It's not either a rod of judgment holding up an impossible standard to accuse and dismiss the hard work of giving life and nurturing it. This morning, we will look at what we learn about mothering as part of the divine image, something that embraces both our love and our lack of love, our victories and our struggles. You'll have to forgive me, the sermon this morning will sort of proceed like Russian nesting dolls, you know. With each mothering image, there will be another smaller mothering image inside it, and so on and so on. And so we'll begin with creation. Before there was us, any of us, there was a Trinitarian God, one being in infinite relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. More than any other single word, this God can be defined as love, overflowing, outpouring, and endless. And this God of love created all that is so that all creation would know the beauty of love and life. 
When humans were created, male and female, in the image of God, this creative impulse to make life and love flourish was one of our earliest gifts. After all, the first ever commandment in the Bible is, be fruitful and multiply. Here, God invites us to be partners in creation, to feel what it means to create, to give new life, in a sense, to mother, whether we have children ourselves or not. This theme carries forward in scripture to the first mother, Eve. Her name itself is related to the word for life, and Adam calls her the mother of all living. And Eve understands her connection to life itself very intimately. Yes, I I know she was tempted and they both sinned. Yes, she and Adam were summarily booted out of the garden for their mistakes, but she does remember God when she gives birth to her firstborn. She calls him Cain, which is related to the verb to get, to acquire. She names him Cain because she says in Genesis 4, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Eve sees that she has created something new together with God, and so she, and not Adam, names this new creature, and she is overwhelmed with awe and praise. And so this God who mothered all creation into existence has also gifted humanity with the ability to mother and bring forth new life. But there are yet more nesting dolls. We move ahead through Abraham to find that God has called a people into being. Where there were no people, now there is a people of God. Where only idols and falsehoods were known, now there is revelation of beauty and truth. The passage that we heard read from Deuteronomy this morning comes from one of the many speeches of Moses near the end of his life. The people were almost there, almost across the border into the promised land, but Moses knew that he wouldn't be joining them. And so he preaches many sermons and he makes many speeches to remind them who God is, who they are, and how they should respond. Now what's interesting about the images that he chooses is that most of them are about God mothering the people. Moses compares God to a mother eagle who protects her young and teaches them how to fly. Moses talks about God shielding, caring, and guiding the people, even feeding and nursing them so that they would grow strong and healthy. And since God has been closer and more sustaining than any human mother could possibly be, Moses is shocked and dismayed that the people have gone after foreign gods. The verse that closes this section is pointed indeed. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. You forgot the God who gave you birth. In this verse, we find Hebrew poetry with two lines in parallel. It's difficult to tell from our translation, but the rock that bore you is closer to begot. It would be the word for a father of a child. Coupled together with the next line, the God who gave you birth, we see that Moses is saying that this God 
Your God is mother and father to you. For all the good and the bad you experience in life otherwise, you always have God as father and mother, unfailing and constant. I love this line, the God who gave you birth, and it's been running around my head all week. And then out of the blue, it struck me. This God who gave us birth, this God who gave us birth was also born. And I don't mean in the beginning, before all creation, but as a little baby, Jesus of Nazareth. This means that not only do we have a God at whose command life exploded onto the watery deep, a God who showed us the joy of nurturing new life, a God who created and called together a holy people, but our God has personally experienced motherhood from both sides. When Jesus came to earth, he decided to be mothered by his own broken creation to be vulnerable, to have the ancient equivalent of a diaper change, to have boo-boos and scars kissed away by a mother, to grow under human guidance. God showed us the blessing of receiving and accepting love and nurture just as surely as we are blessed to give love and nurture. And we don't have terribly many stories of Jesus relating to his earthly mother. But the wedding in Cana is surely a crowd pleaser. In the Gospel of John, for example, there are only two prominent stories of Jesus and Mary. The one we read, Jesus changing water into wine at the beginning of his public ministry, and Mary at the foot of the cross at the end of Jesus' life. Here, Jesus and his disciples have been invited to a wedding. It seems likely that it was for a family friend or a relative. After all, Mary is keeping better tabs on the wine supply than even the servants or the chief steward. You don't do that but for friends. Mary seems to be the first one to notice that the wine is out, and she tells Jesus. Jesus seems to demur, but Mary tells the servants they should do whatever Jesus says to do, a recipe for excitement if ever I heard one. Now the stone water jars were there for hand washing. They were at a feast after all. And in total, they would hold between 120 and 180 gallons of water. That much water would weigh at least 200 pounds. And that's not counting the weight of the jars themselves. Jesus just says, fill them up and let the chief steward taste some. Now, even though this is the first act of Jesus' public ministry in John, there's something quite interesting about it, because it's public and private at the same time. Think about it. Who knows about this miracle? Mary, Jesus, and the servants. All the chief steward knows is that the wine is good, and he commends the almost certainly very confused bridegroom for it. The guests don't know. The family doesn't know, just those who listened to Jesus and trusted his word. Jesus listened to his mother, and he saved the wedding celebration. 
At that time, to run out of supplies for a wedding feast would have been a great shame and dishonor to a family, but there is Jesus, hearing his mother's request, tending to human concern and providing with impossible abundance beyond what anyone would ever ask. Like so many mothers, he works behind the scenes, not for the credit, not for attention, but for the good of the family. As the unnamed married couple start their new life, Jesus starts his and heads out into the world, into his ministry. In this Easter tide, we remember that Jesus lived and died and was reborn, appearing in many places to many different people. God raised Jesus to new life in this season. In Christ, this mothering impulse to love and give life does not cease. It rings through all of our lives, our new families, our death, our rebirth. And so to worship our mothering God, to honor the mothering souls in all of our lives, let us give life and nurture and cherish it wherever we find it on the path before us. If it be through children, let us love and raise them with all our hearts. If it be through creative endeavor, through art and design and construction, let us create for the flourishing of all. If it be through justice and service work, let us proudly work with and on behalf of those who are least among us, as the saints before have taught us. Whatever you do, remember the soul of the small child seeking comfort and relief. And remember that God works through those with soothing words and strengthens our every step. Amen.